All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Just News. Hello, America, and happy Tuesday. Wow, what a day. Last night, we were able to confirm from multiple government and private sources that the Justice Department has over-collected or did over-collect evidence during the raid of President Trump. That includes privileged documents and his passports. The passports were returned last night, according to our reporting. The privileged documents are being reviewed by a special official with the hope that they'll be returned in two weeks. But think about that. Perhaps one of the most significant raids in FBI and Justice Department history, a raid on a former president's home, and there was a significant problem with overcollection. I encourage everybody to check our story out on that today because I was able to talk to Kevin Brock, the former assistant director for intelligence, one of the top executives in recent FBI history, and he expressed grave concern, not only about the overcollection, but about the overly broad language that was used in the search warrant. Think about that for a second. One of the longtime FBI officials see an overly broad search warrant in an overly broad collection. The Justice Department does that too because they are now in the process of rectifying that. That's just one of the many stories that you can find at justinnews.com. Go check it out today. A lot of good stuff. Now, we've got two great guests I'm very excited about. First up, Congressman Andrew Clyde from the great state of Georgia. He is a... 28-year veteran of the U.S. Navy, a combat veteran, three tours of duty in Iraq and Kuwait, now a member of Congress, a small businessman, has a lot to say. We are exactly 12 months from when Joe Biden fatefully pulled us out of Afghanistan. It's not the fact that he pulled us out of Afghanistan. It's the way that happened that so many of us have heartburn about. And I was thinking recently about General McKenzie's statement, his testimony to the Senate a few months back, didn't get the attention it deserved, but he basically said the president ignored his advice, overruled his advice to keep 2,500 troops, and that it was a mistake. He called out the president saying it was a mistake and that it led to the collapse of the Afghan government to the Taliban. That hasn't gotten the attention it deserves, but it did happen in Congress. And today we're going to ask Congressman Andrew Clyde about that and so much more, the state of terrorism, what we're seeing as equipment and 
trained soldiers going to Iran. We're also going to talk a little bit on the economy. He's a businessman. He's got a small business. wonder what he thinks of the Inflation Reduction Act. We're going to find out about that. And then uh, we'll take a quick commercial break after that. We'll come back and we'll ask Cash Patel, former chief of staff to the Pentagon secretary, former National Security Council advisor and assistant to the president, former chief counsel to the House Intelligence Committee, and a man who played a significant role in unraveling the Russia collusion wrongdoing inside the FBI, the FBI's failures in the Russia collusion investigation. Cash Patel is joining us. That's right. You know that name already. He's on here often. We really have a lot of questions to ask him about, including how we got smeared together today in a Washington Post article by Philip Bump. I want to go through the actual factual statements in there and see where we are. All right, folks, we're going to take that quick commercial break. When we come back, Congressman Andrew Klein, followed by Cash Patel, the former National Security Council member and chief of staff to the defense secretary under President Trump right after this. Hey, folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, 
thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. So excited to have this guest on for the first time on John Solomon Reports. He is a combat veteran, a small business owner, and now a congressman from the great state of Georgia. He is Congressman Andrew Clyde. Congressman, great to have you on the show today, sir. Well, thank you, John. It's great to be with you this afternoon. It's an amazing time. I I remember exactly a year ago this day, I was sitting in front of the computer writing breaking news alerts about the horrific frenzied airport exit in Kabul, the sort of the end of the bungled Biden exit from Afghanistan. And I wonder a year later, your thoughts. I mean, you served our country in the military and really concerned about where Afghanistan has gone since we left. A year later, are we safer or less safer after that withdrawal? Oh, no, Um, John, we are definitely less safe after that uh, uh, horrendous withdrawal, that botched withdrawal. Um, Biden has shown uh, to the entire world his failed leadership, his failed military leadership, and and, uh, Afghanistan uh, is a big black eye for the United States. You know, I I served three combat tours in Iraq and Kuwait, uh, and, um, you know, one of those was in direct support uh, of the operations in Afghanistan, and and, uh, it just broke my heart when I saw what happened. I mean, the way that the president... Um, you know, just abandoned Bagram Air Base, which was really the key to maintaining stability within that region right there. I mean, we had Bagram Air Base. Uh, it was such an incredible base that was built there. And the prison that was then left wide open and, and you know, 5,000 terrorists then went out into the, into the night. And um, uh, that was just such a travesty. Um, we, it did not have to be that way. Uh, President Biden bears full responsibility for it. And here we are a year later uh, with the Taliban in total control of Afghanistan and with them just just beating the drum now about potential new attacks. And uh, and, and this is um, this is uh, uh, this is just terrible. And, you know, when we take back the House in in January, and I firmly believe that Republicans will, uh, we are going to give this a proper investigation because no one has been held accountable here, John. No one has been held accountable, and they need to be. You know, from from the the State Department to the Department of Defense, um, this has has just been a disaster for America on the world stage. And and you see the results of that um, with Ukraine and and potentially Taiwan too. Yeah, there's no no doubt about it. And I think the whole world was shaken by the fact that America could exit so messily, so in disregard of the security protocols. You've probably seen the testimony now. It hasn't got a lot of attention in the news media, but when you see what the former commander of U.S. Central Command, CENTCOM, General Kenneth McKenzie, when he testified, I told the president I thought we should have 2,500 troops behind and that we should hold Bagram. The implicit acknowledgement is that the president rejected his best military advice on this. That hasn't gotten the attention I think a lot of people think it deserves. What does it say when a president doesn't listen to his own commanders, the experts on the ground in Afghanistan? Well, it, it says that the president thinks he knows best 
Uh, he's obviously a man of no military experience. And, uh, you know, President Trump, though he may not have military experience either, he has business experience and, and he knows what it takes to run an incredible organization. And you listen to those who are under you who are experts in their particular area. And you hire people that are, quote, you know, smarter than yourself. Um, and, and you bring those together through incredible leadership and you build that sort of a team. I mean, President Trump had a conditions-based withdrawal plan. Uh, and when the Taliban violated those conditions, he hammered them. Joe Biden's withdrawal plan was based on a date. He wanted to be out of there, you know, by the 31st of August so we could celebrate being out of there and on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And it simply would never work. It will never work when you have a date that you have to be gone by and it, and it doesn't matter what kind of pain is inflicted on you, that never works militarily. As we saw, it was a debacle, it was a disaster. We lost 13 uh, incredible members of our military because of it, died in a terrorist attack that, that could easily have been prevented if we had held Bagram. I mean, it just, it, it, it's insanity what we saw happen over there. And, um, and as I said, President Biden bears full and total responsibility for that debacle of a, um, of a retreat. Yeah, I'm just going to read this line because it, it's six in my mind. I remember the day he gave it back in March. Unfortunately, we were focused on other things back in March. And so the news media didn't cover this for the extraordinary moment. But this is General McKenzie's exact quotes. In the spring of 2021, that's when Joe Biden was in, uh, in charge now, it was a mistake to go below of 2,500 troops. If, in fact, we did so, we expected the government of Afghanistan to collapse. That reflected my opinion and the opinion of General Miller, his deputy, and we, who was in Afghanistan. We had an opportunity to freely express that opinion. I'm confident it was heard, but it was rejected. Really remarkable testimony. You served. You know what it takes. You, you, you had a company that grew into an important armory company. There were 20 years of bloodshed in this country. How do veterans, how do people who gave all or gave so much to fight that war to make sure it wouldn't become a terrorist haven. Think now when they look out and realize, well, Alzwari was sitting on a deck so comfortable in Afghanistan, he thought he was free. Have those who have served feel the pain of the fact that that's back to being a terrorist haven again? Uh, you know, that does have to be incredibly disappointing and, um, and, and tragic for people who, especially those who lost loved ones over there, but they just have to be comforted in knowing that for 20 years, we have, their sacrifices have protected Americans on this side of the globe. And uh, so their sacrifices are not lost. They were not for nothing. Um, and, you know, it's, it's back to, to where it was before, but uh, we have learned a lot more about that region. And um, uh, so I would say that their service is still, there's no difference in the honor of their service now um, than it was before. It's just that we're, we're just going to have to, um, you know, make our shield stronger and, um, and we're going to have to fight more now. I think we're in a less safe place, like what you said uh, earlier, uh, than we were uh, when we had troops on the ground in Afghanistan being able to control that or help, con help the government control that country. So, um, uh, you know, their service was incredibly honorable to our country, and it did preserve our liberty for years. 
Uh, there's no doubt. We were safer because of all those sacrifices. There was a report earlier this week that some of the elite Afghan fighters after the collapse of the government, when it was clear Taliban was in charge, they fled with their equipment to Iran. I just think about that right now. Iran has not only the soldiers we trained in Afghanistan, but some of the equipment. And meanwhile, they're talking about and plotting to kill people on our own soil. President George W. Bush, John Bolton, the two most recent examples why are we negotiating with Iran, given the bad record that we're seeing with their behavior in the world? Well, you know, that example you gave just shows the extent of the disaster of the retreat out of Afghanistan, when the 80 plus billion dollars worth of equipment that we left behind uh, for the Taliban, or excuse me, uh, for the, the, the Afghan government that was then just turned right on over to the Taliban, uh, forfeited to the Taliban, um, and then to to have any negotiations with Iran, um, it just shows the lack of leadership on the world stage. I mean, Obama was doing it during his tenure, but President Trump was strong during his uh, uh, time in the, in the Oval Office. Uh, when you negotiate with terrorists and you do it from a position of weakness, you are going to lose. And that's exactly what we're going to see. And we're not going to get any sort of a good deal in negotiating with Iran from a position of weakness. You have to show strength. They have to respect you. Right now, I don't believe they do respect us. Uh, there's other countries in the world that don't respect us uh, simply because we have shown uh, tremendous weakness on the world stage. Um, it really is remarkable. Another place where we're seeing a lot of weakness right now, the economy. You're a small business owner. You know what happens when government gets in the way of business. You take a look at the law that they call the Inflation Reduction Act, even though the CBO is clear that it doesn't have any impact downward. It doesn't put inflation downward. And there are some estimates that brings it upward. We're already in a tough economy. What happens over the next six months when we pour that $700 billion into the economy? Oh, I mean, the... The title of the of the bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, is just a flat-out lie uh, to the American people. It should be called the Inflation Expansion Act or the Inflation Inflation Act. Uh, <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. I haven't heard that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's going to do. When you inject $740 billion, almost three-quarters of a trillion dollars into the economy, you're going to increase inflation. That's just the way economics 101 works. I mean, uh, the Democrats obviously don't understand economics. Uh, I, don't, I, I wonder that they understand math. They certainly don't understand how to define a woman. So um, you gotta wonder where their heads are in this particular bill. Uh, I think it was a smokescreen uh, for their Green New Deal. Uh, as Nancy Pelosi said, um, you know, how can people vote against Mother Earth? Well, they're not talking about inflation reduction anymore. Once the, the Senate passed the bill and the House passed the bill on a party line vote basis, not one solitary Republican voted for this. It is a disaster of a bill. They are leading us down the wrong path. Uh, so we are going to see, in my opinion, inflation continue to increase. It's going to continue to take a bites out of uh, out of people's earnings every year. And, and you know, where, where the administration said that last month uh, we had 0% inflation, and yet we know it was 8.5%. I mean, if it was 0%, why did we even need this bill, the Inflation Reduction Act? Uh, I mean, that just goes to show you 
the deceitfulness of the title of the bill. Um, so, and then probably the worst aspect of this bill is the increase in the IRS. Literally $80 billion to the Internal Revenue Service over 10 years, where their annual budget is only 12 billion. Six times their annual budget, they will be getting in additional funds to hire additional enforcement agents. And who do you think they're gonna, gonna go after, John? You think they're gonna go after the Democrat donors? The, or, or the, the high-income earners that have uh, an army of tax accountants and that don't even do their own taxes? No, they're going to come after you and me. Those folks in the middle class or in the lower class that don't have the ability to fight against the IRS, that basically just fold because, you know, if, if whatever the IRS says extra that you owe, it's not worth it fighting because you're going to spend more money fighting the IRS than what they're requiring of you. So they're just going to milk middle class uh, and um, and it's it's going to be devastating economically for our country it really is remarkable and and we had some accounting firms on who they said you know when, when someone gets an audit notice if you're mom pa Fisher or you know Joe working at the factory and you get a notice you're automatically going to spend between three and five thousand dollars to just address the audit and most people fold their hands and pay whatever the IRS says because it's not worth the extra time away. So that's an additional penny. Three to $5,000 is the average, according to the accounting firm. And we went and grabbed this data from a very respected university data tracking center. It's called Transactional Records Clearinghouse out at Syracuse University. They looked at the last two years of IRS enforcement. 61% of all audits occurred with people under the income level of $25,000 because they've been auditing people who get the earned income child tax credit. We're focusing on people who have the least amount of money to give back. How did this system get so out of whack? Well, it just goes to show you how the Internal Revenue Service can be manipulated and can be used to as a weapon against whatever the enemy of the political establishment happens to be, whoever that enemy I mean, for me, I wish it would have only cost me three to $5,000 in my dealings with the IRS. But back in 2013, in order for me to win my case against the IRS, it cost over $150,000, John. I mean, so, so mind you, we were dealing with a whole lot more money. They came against business, all right, through civil asset forfeiture. But this is a weaponization of the Internal Revenue Service, and, um, and this is 100% on Democrats who want this who want to increase their ability to threaten and coerce and intimidate uh, conservatives. And the vast majority of them are going to be those who make under $200,000. In fact, actually under $75,000. And uh, that's your average hardworking American citizen. And um, we need to stop this and, and we need to do it by, um, by making our voices loud and clear in November and throwing out the current leadership so we can we can reverse this issue. We can reverse this policy. And uh, in fact, honestly, John, we, what we really need to do is eliminate the Internal Revenue Service. That would be the solution. H.R. 25, the Fair Tax Act, I think is the right way to go here. I'm hoping that this, that what has happened, that this bill now, the, uh, um, the Inflation Expansion Act, will give us the, the motivation and the, the energy to pass this particular bill 
and to completely eliminate the Internal Revenue Service. And that bill would then eliminate the tax return from every citizen's life. And we would be so much better as a country for it. The flat tax, fair tax sort of came up about a decade ago. It had a lot of synergy for a while. Then it kind of faded a little bit. Seems like that is catching fancy with members of Congress. Are your colleagues in the House beginning to talk that, hey, maybe that's a great way to go back, get rid of the big bureaucracy. Everybody knows what they pay out the door and we're done. Is that picking up some steam? It is. It is picking up some steam. I'm excited about that fact uh, because I want to see the IRS terminated. It is an agency that has uh, outlived its usefulness, in my opinion. Uh, I think we can go to a better tax system, uh, a more fair tax system across the uh, across the United States, and and then it eliminates the weaponization of the IRS, and that's exactly what we're going to see with these 87,000 new agents that are going to be onboarded into the IRS, and uh, I think that that we will see. Um, you know, this being talked about more and more. In fact, I'm hoping that that maybe we will uh, be able to do a discharge petition on the House floor. Maybe we'll be able to lead that and uh, bring the bring the fair tax up for a vote. Yeah, I think that is such an important dynamic. And it's so funny to see it catch fire again, because it was an idea that uh, had some momentum for a while. It's definitely back in vogue. It's going to be very interesting to see. All right. The last part of this Inflation Reduction Act, well, everybody says this is a big green economy, the transformative, if you listen to Democrats, the transformative moment in American history where we're going to get to a green energy economy. I heard this promise once before in 09 when they did the shovel-ready package for America, which, by the way, another project for shovel-ready gave us Solyndra. But there's a number in here that drives me nuts because there's no explanation how they're going to get there. It just says flatly, in seven years, we're going to cut U.S. carbon emissions by 40%. Do any of your colleagues in Congress have any data from the administration how they're going to get to that extraordinary number in seven years? No, I don't think so whatsoever. That's a pipe dream, in my opinion. I mean, to think that we're all going to transition to electric vehicles, I mean, that's simple insanity. That is, that is their, their utopia, and that is not going to happen. Uh, you... The electric vehicles aren't there for one thing. In fact, I think, you know, having electric vehicles in certain places, maybe metropolitan areas and and uh, but long haul with electric vehicles. No, uh, that's just not an option. And I don't think it'll be an option in your lifetime or my lifetime. Fossil fuel is here to stay and it's here to stay for a very long time. The United States has over is estimated at current rates at over 400 years worth of supply of fossil fuels. And that is what, where our focus needs to be. Green energy is not reliable. Wind is not reliable. Solar is not reliable. But fossil fuel and nuclear are incredibly reliable. And that's what we need. That's where our focus needs to be. That's where um, Americans need to, to, you know, that's what needs to drive our economy. And there's so many ways to use fossil fuels and, and still bring down emissions. It isn't like Republicans want to pollute, right? You keep getting this. The Democrats have this false narrative to use. Well, Republicans don't care about the uh, green economy. They don't care about the climate. Actually, most Republicans have given us the most famous climate legislations in history. you got the park system with Teddy Roosevelt. You've got Reagan's famous Montreal Protocol deal that got rid of fluorocarbons. And you got uh, Donald Trump and the Republican Congress passing one of the largest conservation laws in the world. 
you guys care about it, but you keep getting blamed. How does that dynamic change? How do you turn this around on Democrats and say, they spent a lot of money, got us nothing. We spent you know, generous amount of money and we got a lot of effect for our Republican policies. When does that debate change, you think? Well, and, and then you look at where this money is going. I mean, the vast majority of, the, of this Green New Deal money is going to China. To China, who makes the solar panels, who makes the wind turbines, who makes that sort of stuff, you know, and, but how do they make it? With coal, with fossil fuel. I mean, if, if, if we're concerned about, you know, global climate change, then we should be concerned about what China is putting into the air when it comes to emissions. And we don't, we're not, you know, we're not going to, we are not the entire world here in the United States. We're only a very small portion of it. And, um, and our, we can cut our emissions to a, a, totally 100%. And it's hardly going to move the needle at all in the world when you have other countries like China and They'll India just take and, up the excess and beat us at it. Yeah. We, I mean, you know, Russia, whatever. I mean, Russian national gas is, or, or Russian natural gas is, um, is tremendously more dirty than U.S. natural gas. So uh, it just doesn't make sense what, where they're going, but that's just normal. You know, that's a protocol for Democrats. I've never found them to really make sense. Nope, they have an echo chamber in the media. And over time, I think people will, will begin to absorb it. I think they know now. There's a moment in your state that I think is going to be critical. Obviously, the Senate race is a big deal. you got the incumbent against Herschel Walker. So you got a Democrat who's trying to hold on in a purple state. And in this bill, there was this tax credit for EV vehicles. And as soon as it came out, it was learned that Kia, one of the largest employers in all of Georgia, I think 4,000 employers, they're not going to be able to take advantage of this tax credit because of the way it was written. It actually nullifies their ability to be eligible or have their cars eligible for it. That seems like that's going to hit really hard the Georgia everyday voter. How big a mistake was this for the Democrats? Well, I think, you know, this tax credit for electric vehicles is a mistake across the board because what we are doing is we are incentivizing specific industries. We are choosing winners and losers. And that's not what the government is here to do. That's not what our capitalistic system is designed for. We are not in the government here to pick winners and losers. We are here to to make it fair Okay, our regulations fair uh, for people to to innovate and to um, bring their exceptional ideas and bring them to market and through hard work to profit from it. But um, but that's not what government is doing here. When you incentivize specific things and then and and overly and tax other things, then you're picking winners and losers. And that's wrong. That is not good for Georgia. It's not good for our country. And that's another problem with this bill. Yeah, I'm really jaw-dropping. Last question, because I know you're real busy, but you're on the Oversight Committee. You play an important role in, in creating accountability in Congress. FBI raid at Mar-a-Lago. A lot of questions that I assume that you and your colleagues are going to want to get answered probably in January, because it doesn't seem like the DOJ is going to answer anything before then. Is this going to be one of the many focuses that your great committee will be focused on? Uh, I think it will be a focus of both the Oversight Committee and the Judiciary Committee. Uh, I believe we are going to dissect the FBI and the Department of Justice, and we are going to put them under a microscope piece by piece, and we are going to see uh, where the corruption lies, not if there is corruption, but where the corruption lies, and we are going to expose it. Because 
It is very evident through this uh, raid on President Trump's residence, his home, that, um, uh, that the FBI and the DOJ have been weaponized. And they are trying to do anything and everything, in my opinion, to um, uh, disqualify President Trump from running for office again in 2024. Um, and they are going to lose. I think that um, the American people see right through this. I think that's one of the reasons why that they don't want the affidavit released. They don't want the American public to know the real reason behind this raid. And um, uh, it's unconscionable. And we need to um, hold the FBI and the DOJ accountable. And honestly, where we need to impeach folks for violating the law, we need to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, sir, what an honor to have you on the show. I really appreciate it. We covered a lot of ground. I also want to thank you for your service. A lot of people don't know this. 28 years in the Navy, three combat tours. Your country owes you a great debt of gratitude. We want to thank you for your time today. John, great to be with you. Thank you. You as well, sir. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Cash Patel to give us the latest on Mar-a-Lago right after this. Hey, folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. So excited to have this next guest on. He has been at the forefront of explaining some of the parts of the Trump raid that a lot of reporters and journalists and so-called pundits on TV are ignoring. And he knows this stuff because he's a former federal prosecutor, former public defender, former chief investigative counsel for the House Intelligence Committee. He is Cash Patel and a good friend of this show. Cash, great to have you on the show again. Thanks so much for having me back on, John. Look forward to getting into it. Yeah, I know you're traveling, so I know you're in the car. I appreciate you taking a few minutes to answer questions because I've got a few as I look out. We're now eight, nine days from the raid. And the more we learn about it and the more I talk to people like Kevin Brock, former assistant director of the FBI, there's a sense that this search warrant was extraordinarily broad. Basically, it asked for any document that was created during the Trump presidency 
That would give the ability of the FBI to seize that. That's what the warrant actually says. You did search warrants. You were a federal prosecutor. You were a federal defender defending people. Is this a warrant overly broad and can it be potentially challenged in court? It can. De- every search warrant can be challenged, but this one in particular uh, lacks just that. Search warrants are supposed to state with particularity the premises to be searched and the things to be looked for, not just go in there and look at everything, which is what it seems to be on the face of the materials that have been released. So that's what the search warrant said. Go to this premises and look everywhere for everything. And even though they alleged a crime or a criminal statute or a national security statute in the search warrant, it doesn't match. It doesn't jive with everything that's come out publicly and being reported in the media as to what was seized and what was taken. We already know they screwed up. They took President Trump's passports. I'm sure there's nothing wrong with his diplomatic passports of a president. Why did that get seized? Um, and if that's an example of their either government recklessness or a straight up mistake, who was doing this search that they were they couldn't figure out? Well, don't take his passport. He's a former president. He travels. He might have to go overseas or nor just need that documentation. Yeah, really pretty remarkable cash. As we look at it, you have your own law practice. You do the things that you do in, in the public space. But are there things that right now the president can, should be, will be doing that we should be looking for? I mean, is there a show cause opportunity here? Is there a request for a special master because you've now got executive privilege involved? And, you know, the, the people that are expressing concern are career FBI officials. There are people like Kevin Brock. There are people in the real world who practiced the FBI manual for years who seem to have grave concerns about this. Looking in from the outside, what should the president be doing? Well, you know, I've been away from this stuff for a few years. But, you know, in my day when I did these national security type cases, at the appropriate time when the attorney makes the right appearance, then you, you know, you decide whether or not you're going to challenge a search warrant and you do you know, uh, a, a Frank's hearing to challenge the four corners of the search warrant to see if there was sufficiency for probable cause. But, you know, you're, you also want the underlying documents, but the government doesn't necessarily have to give those over until and if there's a charging decision. And so the affidavit, which is the crux of the search warrant, which lays out the probable cause basis for it, it has not been made public. If I were President Trump's attorneys, you know, I would say maybe don't go ask for the affidavit publicly because the DOJ is never going to give it to you, but at least ask for it privately as representatives of President Trump so that you can review it as his counsel and then guide him on the next steps. I don't know what's in there, John. It sounds like it's going to be a pretty faulty warrant, but I haven't seen it. So I have to go and get the documentation. Then I got to go find out what FBI worked on this case and or raid. And if there were the same counterintelligence FBI agents that I believe uh, the case to be that we're on Russiagate, there are Hunter Biden that have been trying to go after President Trump for years, and the same ones that have been shown to have lied um, or broken internal rules and regulations, and if not the law, then the DOJ has a serious problem. And they have an unfortunate history, them and the FBI, of covering up significant wrongdoings, whether it's Russiagate or Hunter Biden or Mike Flynn or what have you, when it comes to Trump world people. And this is the epicenter of Trump world. It's Trump. So we know the lengths they'll go to to put on the two-tier system of justice, but we also know they're reckless. They all, it's now being reported they took attorney-client privilege material and executive privilege material. How can they not have agents, there were 30-plus of them, not know, don't take executive material or attorney-client privilege products? That is like the no-no. You can't go and raid that. It's off limits. But apparently, if we're to believe the media reporting, that's what happened. It's outrageous government conduct. Um, 
at this level, when you're looking at a president of the United States or former president at possible uh, national security charges. Yeah, it's really pretty remarkable. You and I have been branded together in a story by Philip Bump at the Washington Post. Uh, and I want to tell you this. I want to tell this part of the story. I, I just sent a note to his bosses about this because it's so outrageous. He called me 20 minutes before the story was posted. Now, I worked at the Washington Post. There's an editing process. That means he already wrote the story and sent it to his editors before he even asked about my side of the story and or your side of the story. I don't know what he sent to your request for comment, but he already had the story and his headline and everything made up. And I was an afterthought. But, you know, the insinuation of the story is that somehow you and I are involved in the secreting of the documents, the withholding of the information, having access to the documents that there. I mean, that's what he basically insinuates. I know why I'm on there. I'm on as a journalist trying to find the missing Russia collusion documents. And as a result of the narrow access that the president gave me at my request as a journalist, we were able to solve what happened to the Russia collusion documents that were declassified. But when you look at that, I just want to ask you, because he didn't give you a chance to obviously get a comment before he wrote the story and sent it to his editors. Do you have anything to do with the documents at Mar-a-Lago? Were you involved in the raid? The insinuation is that somehow you've had access to these documents at Mar-a-Lago. Nope. I have never had access to these documents at Mar-a-Lago. I didn't even know they were there. And, you know, the, the, this is what these people live in, in this gray world of insinuation. It's their massive disinformation campaign that they want the American public to read it and be like, oh, there's something seedy going on here. And then they want the left-wing media to make up further radical headlines that are false. You know, John Solomon and Cash himself conspire to break into the National Archives and steal documentation and plant it in Mar-a-Lago, um, the biggest crime of the century. And then it all turns out to be, of course, as it is, false. Um, but they have their headline and they have their insinuation, and that's why the Washington Post uh, and their subscription is at the lowest levels in modern history, and it's still going down. And they haven't figured out the, the, the media angle of it that this raid has made President Trump more popular than he's ever been since he left the White House. Yeah. Well, if they're, again, I don't know what the goal of journalists were, but if their goal was to bring down the former president's ratings, it seems as though they're having the opposite effect. But it really, to me, regardless of what someone's political ratings go up and go, journalists are supposed to be neutral. They're supposed to get facts, give them out, and let other people make up their mind. I just went to Philip, literally, as we're talking here, I went to Philip Bump's Twitter feed. Now, it's important to point, he's not on the opinion side of the Washington Post. He's listed as a national correspondent. By the way, I had the same title when I was at the Washington Post. This is some of the things he's put on Twitter in the last couple of days. He points out, Parsing and dismantling DeSantis's lazy rhetoric about the pandemic. He's causing a, a person he's supposed to cover neutrally as lazy. And that what, he's, what he was saying today as governor was rhetoric, not a press conference. That's just one example of something here. Here's another one he wrote just about three hours ago. Turns out the most effective sales pitch of Trump's life was convincing his base that the deep state elites were targeting them, not him. It's so effective that Tucker Carlson is trying to repurpose it for his own use. This is a man he's supposed to cover neutrally as a correspondent of the Washington Post. I'm literally shocked to see. I would never, and I don't express opinion on my Twitter feed, but it's just really remarkable to see what he's done. Dinesh D'Souza, he's covering something about Dinesh D'Souza. He calls it shameless exploitation of people's trust. He just goes on and on. I thought journalists were supposed to keep their opinions to yourself. I guess we're in a different era, or I must have missed that class in J school. 
Is there going to be a moment where the Washington Post, one of the most influential news organizations in America, has a reckoning for what it's allowing its reporters to do, which is the expression of opinion over fact? I don't know if there's going to be a full-on reckoning. We've been sort of dealing with it in a stepped approach. We started with Russiagate, and we went on to impeach one, two, Mueller, Hunter Biden, Jan 6, now the raid. You know, they will always do what they do, which is fraudulently gin up one conspiracy when they get called out and proven to have been a part of that conspiracy itself. They then gin up the next one, and they say they're the purveyors of the truth. And like you said, there's no one holding themselves accountable because they don't care anymore about journalistic integrity. And I think more and more people are like, I'm going to stop reading the Washington Toilet Post and get my news from elsewhere because they've proven that even though they've been around for a long time, in the last five, six years, they've proven they have absolutely zero journalistic integrity left, no ability to be neutral, and actually cannot report the truth, even when they're presented with it, because they don't want to. That's why nobody talks to these guys anymore. And they have all these angled sources, quote-unquote, opinionated people who, I saw something from someone else who said they saw this and heard that, I mean, this is source reporting now for these people. It's a joke. And, uh, you know, the reckoning will come more and more as we keep filing defamation cases and holding these people accountable in the public light, making them pay for it, uh, which is what we need to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really remarkable. I want to step into just one question as we, we look into, you know, the president at my request, because I asked as a journalist, you say these documents are declassified. How are they declassified? President's office provided an answer, which is when he removed documents from the White House Oval Office and brought them to his residence, he had a standing order for declassifying them, which uh, some people tell me seems plausible based on what they know. But I want to ask you, when you work for the National Security Council, if you were to bring the president a document that was classified, did you have an obligation to stick around and take that document, bring it back to the staff secretary when it was done? Well, it was, it was slightly different for the NSC. We have lock bags and we have uh, authorization to carry classified materials and we put them and we wrap them and seal them properly, take them into the Oval when we're finished, put them back and then deposit them into our own skips with security vault safes on them. You know, that's basically the process. Um, it, you know, I don't I don't know too many other people that would be walking around with classified materials except the staff secretary say when a document gets the final approval to be shown to POTUS. And then he, the staff secretary, would be responsible for making sure that paperwork is properly handled and stored at the White House in a skiff facility that he has access to. So if someone who had brought the president a classified document didn't stick around, didn't grab the document to bring it back, wouldn't that be a break in protocol? Or would they have to know the president is, hey, I'm taking this with me so you can go home now. I don't need you to stick around and take the document anymore. There seems to be there would be a communication, there'd be a process where the national security official who had the classified document would either have an obligation to go get it or had been told, you know, the president's declassified it and it's going up to the residents. What's your guess based on, you know, you worked in the building, you know how it works on a daily basis. Yeah, so the president can be left with whatever documents on his request that he wants. He's the president of the United States. He's the unilateral final arbiter of classification and uh, classification authorities. So there's, it, it would be, you know, I don't know the law on it, but it might be unlawful to... <clears throat> When your commander in chief says, I want to read this stuff, leave it with me, if you did not, the, all that information is ultimately for one person at the end of the day, for the president to make decisions on national security and whatnot. So 
And then after that, yeah, every president has body men and minders that know how to handle not just classified information, but just logistics around and moving, you know, a commander in chief around. And so there's a process in place for that. And they were in place during the Trump presidency. These are positions that have been around for, you know, more than decades. Right. Any doubt in your mind that what the documents at the Mar-a-Lago are declassified based on what you saw at the White House, what you know what the protocol is to be and what the president has said? No, I don't have any. Yeah. And when you see reporters casting doubt on this without even going through the process of learning how things are done, I, I just saw John Bolton say, I know the president did take documents back to the residence. So he's confirming that that process happened. He was the national security advisor. Um why do you think it is that there is a casting of doubt on something that actually seems to be very plausible? The, the law is pretty clear, right? The president, with a single wave of his finger, can say that document is declassified, right? Yeah, crystal clear. He has the ultimate ability. He doesn't have to fill out a document. Now, sometimes he does, like in the case of Russia collusion documents, because these were antiquities of the FBI, Right. The documents, he, he did it in an order form so that people could say, hey, that wasn't your documents, Mr. President, the FBI. So he declassifies them then. But the documents created for the purpose of the president in his work in the Oval Office, one wave of the finger is all he needs to do. Right. Is that's how I understand the law from all the people I've interviewed. Is that correct? Well, yeah, all the documents are his at the end of the day, whether it's FBI, DOJ or whatever. So he can declassify anything at any time. That's his uh, ability. It doesn't matter where it comes from. And he doesn't need to enter into a formal process to do that. He just needs to say declassified, which he did on multiple occasions um, uh, at the end of his presidency. So it, it's shocking that this DOJ won't come to the podium and talk about the mishandling of these of these documents by the Government Services Administration, not the president. But furthermore, won't come on and say, well, we know he doesn't have any classified documents because he declassified all this material. It's incumbent upon the government to show that somewhere nested in there was a secret document that, you know, he never he never declassified. But A, I don't think that's the case. B, I don't know how they prove it. And C, it's not like the president packed it up and transported it anywhere himself or showed it to anybody anyway. From my best recollection on media reporting, they're sitting under lock and key pursuant to the Department of Justice in a basement that nobody could get to in Mar-a-Lago that most people didn't even know existed. Yeah. It's um, it's really remarkable to uh, think that there are all of these questions that should have been answered before a raid is conducted, and they aren't. Uh, and also, the people who pack up the documents, if you believe the, uh, uh, the General Services Administration, it wasn't the president and the first lady that are packing up their documents. These were GSA uh, employees that went into the residence, packed things up, and I assume there's a protocol what they're supposed to do when they find documents, right? Isn't, isn't there a protocol that they follow? Well, they, that's why that's one of their roles. The Government Service Administration is part of the uh, agencies that lead the transition of, 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 of governments from one president to the next. And it's their job, like it was for Bush and Carter and Obama and Clinton, to move documents from uh, one location to another to move the presidential papers like they did for Obama and 30 million documents and and not segregate them. And so these, these rules apparently apply to one political party and not the other. And then these referrals from the National Archives only against President Trump at DOJ from, from NARA, but not against Obama or Clinton 
um, show the American people the two-tier system of justice on both sides. Yeah. That is really something I think we need to dig in more as journalists, getting the GSA's rules for what they should have done. If they saw a document with a classified marking, it seems as though that they would have an obligation to go figure out what to do with it rather than just throw it into a box. So maybe the GSA officials got the answer. That's something we're going to have to find out. Cash, as you look out now, there's a lot more things to come on. There's a whole investigation of January 6th. Do you think that the raid on the president's compound was nearly focused on the classified documents, presidential records, or do you think that was a pretext and they were really looking for anything they could find in any of the investigations that the FBI had? And that's why they worded the search warrant so broadly. I think it was both. They wanted to go on a fishing expedition and try to find something because they never wanted to run again. And they wanted the public messaging to be... President Trump is under a national security investigation. America cannot trust this man is what the messaging they wanted to put out there. And uh, but it looks like it's backfiring and failing. And so it's, you know, as, no friend of ours, Andrew Cuomo, has said, you know, live that uh, if they don't really have some like crime of the century, then going into the home of the president was a terrible political mistake. And it looks like that's what they've done. And this AG and this director of FBI are completely, completely part of what I deem to be unethical and if not unlawful behavior as heads of our law enforcement. Yeah, it's really remarkable. I think we're going to learn a lot more. It's like Russia collusion. Every day there's a new twist to this. The twist took us on such a journey that we ultimately found out that what the original media stories were, what the Adam Schiff's of the world, what the FBI Pete Strzok told us, it turned out not to be true, but it took us five years to do that. I wonder what we'll look back at this moment five years from now and think about this raid when we when we learn about it. Last question. You and I were, were named as representatives for a narrow mission, right, was to find the, what happened to the Russia collusion documents. We've now gotten an answer. That access allowed us to get an answer for the American people, and that is that the FBI and Justice Department possess the declassified records that the president declassified on January 19th. I want to ask you a quick question. You're a lawyer. Obviously, you're on the spot a little bit here. But if these records were part of the Trump presidency, something the president declassified, in fact, I believe the White House did the declassification markings themselves, not the FBI, aren't they records of the presidential administration? And shouldn't they be in the archives, which means the Justice Department may be in violation of the Presidential Records Act? Yeah, that's a great point. And you know, the representative of the archives used to run it. He's no longer there. He's the one that referred the matter to the Department of Justice because he felt that it was something was uh, askew and it was President Trump's fault, when in reality, it was the GSA who moved the documents and Trump had nothing to do with it. This was the same man who led the National Archives that even though Hillary Clinton actually knowingly moved and possessed classified information, he gave her a pass and said, there's no referral necessary on this. So the two-tier system of justice once again on display, and um, he has. I don't. Th- I don't think the individual's role that I'm talking about could be minimized more by the media. And I think Nara, as you point out, maybe they'll be going before Congress come November and have asking answering some tough questions about what you just said. I think that's the most important part, which is there are a lot of people on television right now making judgments, making casting. I remember John Dean, who I just saw this week, you know, jacking up this thing. He was a guy calling Russiagate Watergate, right? It never turned out to be anything close to Watergate. In fact, it's an insult 
to the American public to compare Russiagate to Nixon, unless maybe the unraveling of it is more Nixonian. But I think at the end of the day, there's so many more facts that we need to get. And I, you you proved that facts matter. That's how you did the work on Russia collusion. I think we have a lot more facts that we got to go get before the American public can make up their mind, no matter what the pundits say on TV. I think that's the fun part of what lies ahead for us, Cash, and that is getting the facts so Americans can make up their own mind. Parting thoughts. What do you think? I know you were traveling. What should we be watching for in the next few days? Uh, well, I think we should be watching for more admissions from the DOJ and FBI that there, there was overreach, uh, especially in regards to the presidential privilege and executive privilege and attorney client privilege materials. That were seized. That would be another yet another mistake, like the passport mistake of an over overreach, of overly broad warrant. And then I should, and then I say, watch for the Watergate moment. That is, watch for the Russiagate moment. And that is, we are going to find out that the same FBI corrupt actors who led Russiagate and led Hillary and led Hunter Biden are the same corrupt actors who probably committed corrupt, unlawful actions during this raid. And we're only going to get to the bottom of it when we get all the documents out for the American public. It's got to start with the Capitals in Congress in November. Well, that's what we need to be watching. You're exactly right. And Cash, as always, we love having this show because we get a straight answer, factual answer, researched answer. It's always great to have you on. Safe travels and look forward to having you on again real soon. Thanks so much, John. Have a great day. Take care, my friend. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back, folks. So glad to have Congressman Clyde on the show. A lot of great information, a lot of great insights and thoughts about what's going on there. Also, thanks to Cash Patel. He always gives us the latest of his thoughts. As a former federal prosecutor, as a former federal defender, always enjoy those insights and where they come from and the, and the legal and factual basis for them. Always great to have. Now, before we go today, we always have great sponsors, great partners, great products and services that are behind the Just the News brand. They make our reporting possible. They make our podcast possible. They make our television show possible. They make the online polls possible. All the things that we do to create the Just the News community. And what I'd like to do is, you know, people say, John, is there something I could do to support your reporting? And it is really simple. It's not a lot, but if you'd have a need for a service, if you have a need for a product, if you heard one of our great advertiser sponsors or partners on air with us, support them, buy a product, check out their site, Register for their newsletters, get involved, send a text message to find out their special offers. They do this for us every day, offer these products, give you special discounts and special offers. 
and they do it to make what we do at Just the News possible. And one of them is Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E. They are a company that takes the difficulty out of HR for you. If you've got a small business like I do, you know HR is important. You want to comply with the law. You want to treat your most important asset in your company, your humans, with the right respect, with the right policies, with the right engagement, with the right opportunities. And if you don't, you know, it also can be costly. People know that. And Bambi has stepped up to the plate. They have created a full service HR unit for your small business. And it can cost as little as $99 per month to have an HR manager at your disposal, a dedicated HR manager. They're available by phone, by email, in real-time chat, so that onboarding and terminations and HR issues and policies, they all go smoothly for your company. Don't take the risk. Take this off your worry chart. Take this off your bucket list. Go get a dedicated HR manager from my good friends at Bambi. Now, how are you going to do that? The easiest way to do that is to go to Bambi.com, B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash Just News. Right now, you'll get a free audit and you'll be up and running and you'll find out what you can gain from the great folks at Bambi. Again, one more time, go to B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash Just News, Bambi.com slash Just News right now to take advantage of that incredible offer. Think about that a full-time dedicated HR manager available for just $99 a month. That's a really great deal. All right, folks, we have another great show tonight. Big exclusive tonight. Paul Manafort is coming on the show. That's a big deal. He's out to talk about his book. We can't wait to break some news about that. Philip Patrick, our good friend at Birch Gold, he's going to be talking about the state of the economy. There's a lot to be thinking about that. A lot of other great guests. Check Amanda and I out tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern time on Real America's Voice. Thank you for listening. God bless you. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. 
Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.